right, well, we're continuing in chapter 7 of the book of Revelation. And so if you'll turn in your Bibles to that, we invite you, uh, if you don't have a Bible today, there's a red one right in front of you. And if you'd like to take that one home with you, that is yours. We give that to you. We'd love for you to take it. We're going to look at this passage, the back end of it. We talked about it last week, and we said that it is one of the most comforting passages uh, in the book of Revelation, and, and I would say even in the whole of Scripture. And that, that may seem strange, and it may seem hard to grasp and understand, because here we are in a book that speaks of the apocalypse, and what is this, you know, this comforting passage here? And I, I really do believe that it is. And when I say the word comfort, I don't mean like, you know, oh, they're there, you know, or like, you know, mom or dad did with us when, when we were hurting and they held us in their arms. Uh, I mean, the original meaning of the word, and if you break it down, come, uh, C-O-M, it means with, and forte or fort, forte means strength. So with strength, this is a passage of scripture that gives us strength to face the things that we might face. And, and we talked about that last week, and we're going to kind of put a bow on it today, hopefully, God willing. And I want you to remember that John begin, begins this whole thing in a similar fashion, in a similar pattern that he's done in other books of, or other chapters in uh, Revelation. Of course, it's just one letter. We put the chapter headings on it, right? Years and years ago, but it, in his letter, he uses this, this theme. He uses this pattern of hearing and seeing. I heard and then I saw. And we see that again here. We see that we saw last week what he heard. It says, and I heard the number of the sealed. And he tells us the number. And he says, after this, I looked and there was a vast multitude and so when, when John is doing this anywhere else in the book of Revelation, he's hearing something and then he's seeing it transpire. He heard in chapter 5 that the Lion of Judah was coming and then he saw the Lamb at the center of the throne. He heard and he saw. And we see that in this passage as well. And so I think that it, it could be that he's hearing this number and all these people and remember we said it's a hebrew number for a lot of people and then he sees a lot of people and so it's important to think about these things and understand these things as we look in this passage but john sees something that gives him hope john sees something that gives him immense hope now remember john as he is writing this he himself is imprisoned on a, on a desolate island, an island of past Patmos, because he has followed Christ and it has guided him here. He himself is being persecuted for his faith. He's in, no doubt in a, a, a place of despondency and, and difficulty, and then he's also not able to be with those he's been given spiritual charge over, these seven churches. So he's writing to them. He's saying, listen, God gave me a vision that instilled hope into me, and I want you to see it as well. We see in this moment John seeing something that gives him immense hope. And he pins it so that he can give others hope as well. And friends, today, you and I, no doubt, need a little hope. 
need a little uh, need a bil- an ability to look beyond the circumstances that are around us and the things that we face to see what's beyond that and what transcends that and what goes beyond that and that is the Lord Jesus Christ so that no matter what you and I face we have someone on our side who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who is God over the heartache God over the trouble God over the jubilation he's God over it all and he holds us in his righteous hands What better place could we be in? What better hope could we have? Because I would tell you, this world and its good and its bad will one day fade away, but the kingdom that we see here, the ones who represent this kingdom, the one who follow this king, they will last forever. And you and I in him will last forever as well. Don't we all need... Jesus to be our source of hope and strength, a a place of faith for us. And I pray this passage today gives us these things. Let's read it. And if you're able to stand in the uh, in God's word, would you to honor it? Revelation chapter seven nine through seventeen. After this, I looked. And there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God. He was seated on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and all along with the elders and with the four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne and worshiped the God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, Who are these people in white robes, and where did they come from? And John said to him, You know. (laughs) Sir, you know. That's just funny to me. Then he told him, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. The Lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to the springs of waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In this passage, we see Christ's provision at the very end of time in three areas that give us comfort and confidence to walk this road of life. Remember I said last week, it's like John is giving us a glimpse of the vision of God that he is able to look on on everything from the moment it happens to the moment it ends. That's not like us. It's hard for us to grasp that and fathom that. It's hard for us to fully understand what this is like to be able to see all things at once. But God does. God sees that in this way. He sees the moment that the four winds are being held back so that he may seal those who believe in him 
and he, we see them at the very end of when they have all come through, washed white in his blood. And he's able to see it all at once. And I want to take a moment uh, as we think about this first point, that we are sheltered in the sin-bleaching righteousness of Christ. I want to make an aside. We often want to put a marker on the time Jesus will return. You'll hear people say again and again, well, we're in the end times. The Lord's going to come back any day now. And I, I trust me, I, we've been in the end times for a long time. I believe that statement. And I believe that he could come back at any moment. I think his return is imminent. I do. But I don't know that we are the ones that need to be trying to put a marker on it. Jesus himself said no one knows the hour, not even himself. Only God knows that moment. I do think we know, need to be aware of the, the times and the signs. We're not saying that. But for us to spend all the time in the world trying to figure out, was well, that it or is that it or is that it? It gets us distracted. Remember the apostles? Do you remember them when, when Jesus ascended up into heaven? And an angel had to come and say, what are y'all doing? Because they just standing there waiting for him to return. You know, it's like, y'all got work to do. And that's what I want to say to us. And this passage helps us to see that. I've set out in this series to resist the temptation to read beyond the immediate meaning of the text to try to determine when things are going to happen, what's happening, where does this... I, I've, I've resisted because I think sometimes you have to read beyond the actual immediate context... But I think we can say one thing definitively about the end times based on this passage. If people are going to be in the completed number of those in the multitude that it speaks about here, who speak every language, who are from every nation and tribe, then we got work to do. We got work to do. We've got a lot of work to do before Jesus will return. According to the Joshua Project, the Joshua Project is a research initiative seeking to highlight the, the ethnic people groups of the world with the fewest followers of Christ, and they do a lot more. And one of the ways I was introduced to them long ago was uh, they had a... This was back in the days of MySpace. Anybody remember that? Okay, good. So uh, you could put a little widget on your MySpace page of the Joshua Project, and it would tell you who to pray for that day. And you, there's a, a, a people group of the day that you can pray for. This still is available, and you can still find that. But they do a lot of this, and they do a lot of the research. According to them, there are 7,414 unreached people groups still in the world, and most of them are in the 1040 window between the latitude and lo longitudinal lines of the 10 and the 40. That's where 95% of the world's unreached people groups live. So 7,000 people groups still live within that 7,400. 3,000 of those, somewhere around above or, or below, are unengaged unreached people groups. That means there is no one within that tribe, nation, or tongue who yet speaks the name of Christ, who knows the name of Christ. So in the 7,000 that are unreached, less than 2% are Christians in those tribes. What does that mean? 
Well, if the Bible is true, and I believe it is, and I actually believe it's literally true, there's a lot of tongues and nations and tribes yet to be reached, to be represented in this multitude. Who will reach them? Us. It's our job. So what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to engage them. We're supposed to go tell the, the name of Christ in among all these people. And when that takes place, then Jesus will come according to Matthew chapter 24. So, maybe we need to stop looking to the skies expecting Jesus to return long enough to look to our fellow man who are lost and dying without Christ and say, I will come and share the gospel with you so Jesus can come quicker. That's just an aside. That's, you get that for free. All right. Look at what Jesus does for this group that John sees near Jesus' return. Number one, he washes them white as snow. It says in chapter nine or chapter seven, verses nine and following, after this I looked, and there was a vast multitude of every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. White represents Righteousness. We sang about it a moment ago. We sang those, those really old words to that. Uh, we just, it's a new, new song, but it says old words, right? In Christ alone, uh, my cornerstone, but the, the words are uh, from an old hymn, right? And it says, dressed in his righteousness alone is how we stand before the throne. It's calling to this scripture. It's helping us remember this moment when you and I, will be dressed in white around the throne of God, that we will be there not because of our own righteousness, but because of Christ's. He washes them white as snow. Look, it says in verse 13 and 14, the elder says, well, who are these people? And he says, well, you know. It's kind of this funny moment in my mind where John's like, I don't know, you tell me, you know. And then he told me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Friends, the thing that will wash us white, make us presentable to our Lord Jesus Christ, is his blood and his blood alone. It's not our righteousness. It's not our ability to be good enough. It's not our ability to do enough good or to do enough right. It's us determining and realizing that I have no business before the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ unless he allows me there. And the only way he allows someone to be there is that they have trusted in the lamb and in his blood. And when they are there, they are no longer there in their destitution, but they are there clothed in brilliant white clothes, washed by Jesus. You and I don't, if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior... We no, we no longer carry the effects of our sin. Now, we may continue to struggle with sin and the effects of sin, but we no longer carry its punishment. You and I have received the righteousness of Christ. He has washed us white as snow. He's made us clean in him. And listen to their exclamation because of what Jesus has done for them. It says that they cried out in a loud voice in verse 10, salvation belongs to our God. We are here because Jesus saved us.
Jesus washed us clean. Jesus has made us righteous. Jesus has made us holy. They knew what it was, what it was that had brought them to that moment. The multitude were gathered around the throne, sheltered by the one who sits on the throne. You and I are sheltered in his grace and mercy to cleanse us from our sin and the effects of sin and to make us worthy to be at the foot of the throne of our God. That's some good news, man. That is some excellent news. That will bring hope. That will bring hope. That will inject hope into our veins to realize there's nothing I can do to make this better. There's nothing that I can do to mess this up. If I will trust in Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished, I have life. I have worth. I can be at his foot and at his throne and worship him. Faultless, as that hymn says, faultless to stand before the throne because of Christ. That will give us faith, faith to face this life and everything that we might face. Now, I want to look at a word there that I think is important. These Christians were those coming out of the great tribulation. That word simply means or is the Greek word is thalipsis. It means a pressing pressure, a pressing pressure. Mega thalipsis, great pressing pressure, the great tribulation. These Christians came out of that, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and Jesus had cleansed them with his blood. And there are pressing pressures that have been pressing upon us, that are pressing upon us, that will press upon us. Remember, I'm <laughs> trying to resist the temptation to, to dive in and, well, I wonder when the great tribulation might happen. Well, I just want to say, there's still a great tribulation to come, no doubt, a mega philipsis, because the Bible is, is, is showing us that. But there has been a great tribulation. There is a great tribulation, and there will be. The fact of the matter is that the pressing pressure upon Christians will always be there, has always been there, and will always be there. And when we come out of it, Jesus has washed us white in his blood, and that will bring us hope and give us the faith to face the mega philipsis, the great pressing pressure that we face every day the second thing that we see here is that we are satisfied satisfied in the thirst quenching provision of christ i got real wordy with my points this week so bear with me all right but i it was i was like a kid in a candy store i was excited jason tried to talk me out of it but i said no i'm going hard in on these uh words he didn't really try to talk me out of it um so what we see here in this passage is that these Christians, so we see later on in, in, in verse, verses 14 and following, he told me these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, the great pressing pressure. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And these are the promises that they have for them. For this reason, they are before the throne of God. And they serve him day and night in his temple. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. That's what we talked about. He shelters them from the effects of sin and washes them white before him. 
and they will no longer hunger, and they will no longer thirst. I'm reminded of Jesus' fourth beatitude about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is righteousness? Who is righteousness? For Christ. Those who hunger and thirst for Christ will be filled, is what he says, right? These saints from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue gathered around the throne of Jesus are filled by him and fulfilled in him. They no longer hunger and thirst. Jesus satisfies them. This is, the total, this is in total contrast to what we see in the earlier part of the chapter where the four winds of the kingdom of this world are holding, being held back by the kingdom, our king, by Jesus. In this world that wants to crash into Jesus' kingdom, they're being held back. But what did they bring? Well, we learned about them uh, several months ago because they are the four horsemen of the apocalypse and they bring famine and war and pestilence. They bring everything opposed to this. And what does Jesus bring in his kingdom? Jesus brings fulfillment, satisfaction. You'll never hunger or thirst again. Where the king of the enemy, the enemy of the world, the enemy of our King Jesus, the king of this, this world and this crashing kingdom into his, all he wants to bring is death and all of its effects. Jesus brings life and fulfillment. Where the enemy wants to bring hunger and thirst and pains and, and urges, Jesus, our King, brings fulfillment and satisfaction that we will never thirst again. I'm reminded of the woman at the well, and Jesus comes to her, and she's, Jesus comes to her with, with a physical need, and oftentimes he does that. She was, was drawing up water at a time where no one else did. Why? Because she was... Not allowed, and she was being shamed by her community because of her uh, her lifestyle and the things that she did. And Jesus approached her anyway. He says, "I see that you're pulling up something to drink. Would you pull me something?" And Jesus takes a physical moment and makes it spiritual very quickly. And he says, "You know that word that that water. You're going to drink it. You're going to thirst again. But I have water, living water." That when you, thirst, when you drink of it, you will never thirst again. Friends, Jesus is the living water. And when we drink of him, when we are satisfied in him, when we are filled with him and fulfilled in him, we never thirst again. Oh, to be fully satisfied in Jesus Oh, to fully shed this sinful old Derek and my desires that never seem to cease and finally find my fill in Jesus. Friends, Jesus brings the thirst-quenching water he promised to the woman at the well that causes us to thirst no more. Begin to find your fill in him today, today. The third thing that we see is that we are shepherded into the faith-enabling center of Christ's throne. I told you I got wordy with my points this week. But being at the center of the heart of God gives us the faith we need to face whatever we may face in this life. Look at verse 17. 
This is so comforting and it injects hope into our veins today. It gives us faith today. We will be shepherded, led by Jesus to the center of the throne. Look at this. For the Lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to the springs of the waters of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There we will find springs of the water of life at the center of the throne of God, and he will wipe away all of our tears. John is helping other Christians to realize, as he has uh, seen and re realized in his own life, that Jesus is revealing himself to him that our tears and pains and difficulties will only last for a moment. Will only last for a moment. That one day... In the heart of Jesus, in the heart of his throne, at the center of the throne of God, he will hold us and wipe our tears away because we will be at the center where he is. And if you recall, we saw earlier in this series that at the very center of the heart of God is the sacrificial lamb who loves us so dearly. What more tender expression can we see as Jesus wipes away our tears. Let that faith, fact, let these facts inject faith into your veins today. May Jesus so be so close to your heart and whisper in your ear today, I've got this. I've got you. You're mine, and I love you, and this pressing pressure will only last for a moment. You'll have me forever. This week, um, as, as kids often do, they, 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 they sidetrack you. We were driving in the car yesterday, and we, uh, somehow we were talking about Papa, and Papa is my dad, and my dad passed away, and we just recently celebrated his, what would have been his 68th birthday. And so uh, Charlie says, um, what is Papa doing today? What is Papa doing today? And as a good theologian and a Baptist pastor, I said, well, he's worshiping Jesus today, which I believe he is. But as I read this passage and injected hope into me, faith into me, not only is my dad sitting at the throne worshiping Jesus, he's at the very heart of God and Jesus has wiped away his tears he's extinguished his pain and he is alive in Christ today at the center of the heart of God at the throne of God and you no doubt you have loved ones there as well and no doubt you hope to one day go to heaven and see them but friends I hope that you will realize the only way that you'll go there is to know Jesus and have him hold you and have him love you and care for you and wipe the tears from your eyes and extinguish your pains. And so my prayer is that you and I would trust in that Jesus, not just for when he comes back to take us into heaven with him, but trust him today because the great pressing pressure is already here. 
And we need him to hold us and guide us and lead us and give us the faith to face the things we still have to face, but to remember they will only last for a fleeting moment and then we will be fully satisfied in him one day. So I pray that as we close, you will lean into the heart of God today and ask him to shepherd your heart to his throne to give you the faith you need and the strength you need to face this life in his strength. Can we pray, Lord, we need you, Jesus. There's a great pressing pressure that we face every day. Our clothes are stained and we need you to wash us white as snow. We hunger and thirst, Lord, yet to be fully satisfied, fully fulfilled, Lord. We look toward that day, one day, when we will be counted among the multitude of every tribe, nation, and tongue that sits at your throne and says, you are worthy, salvation belongs to our God, and we are here because you saved us, and you have filled us and will never hunger, thirst again. Let that future truth begin to take seed in our hearts today. Inject hope into our hearts, Lord. Inject faith into our veins today so that we can face whatever life brings us by trusting in you and in the hope we have that this will only last for a moment and that we are kept in you. Work in this room today, Lord. Speak to our hearts, Lord. If someone needs to trust Christ as Savior today, Lord, pierce their heart today. Speak to them today, God. And may they call on you. May they listen. May they hear. May they follow. If someone's here, Lord, and they can feel the pressing pressures of life, Lord, they just need to cry out to you, pray with you, Lord. I pray that you give them the, the inclination to do that today, God. If someone just needs someone to pray with them, Lord, I pray that they would come and allow me to pray with them or someone else to pray with them today, God. Would you work in our lives? Would you move in our hearts? Would you help us to see you for who you are? Not just what you will be when you come, but Lord, who you are now and who we have available to us in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? And as you stand, we're going to sing. And as